Welcome back to the last week out. My name is Chudzy Magoo, and I am your pilot on this aeroplane today, like I am every week. Big shouts out to our listeners for tuning in to the live video with Tara last week. The captain, myself, and my first mate were out of town, not together in different different parts of town. Yeah, we're exploring. Anthony was in a place in Colorado. I didn't know where it was, but somebody was like, where's Anthony? I was like, he's at that place where rich white people go. That's not entirely true. It's Telluride. It's not Aspen. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> Meanwhile, I was on the beach in San Diego having a blast. My girlfriend almost got washed away by a giant wave and thrown hundreds of feet into the ocean. We almost lost her. We almost oh, lost no. her. <laughs> Unfortunately, she's still around. <laughs> Amy doesn't listen, we hope. Yeah, she does. It's like the only podcast she listens to, so this will be fun. We got some people in the room today. I'm very excited. First off, you can follow us on Instagram at the last week out. Mm-hmm. You can DM us for some advice, or maybe you have a topic you want us to discuss and talk about. Maybe you should explain what DM is. DM is a direct <laughs> for, for our guest for our guest born nineteen oh one. DM is the direct message on Instagram. Hmm. Yeah. I have a little bit of trouble with Instagram though. <clears throat> yeah, I know you do. It's okay. That's all right. Yeah. Most of the trouble I have with Instagram is Donald Trump. Yeah, that's it? Yeah. <laughs> what about Twitter? Do you have a Twitter? I don't, I don't have either. I, I, I decided uh, long ago that um, my time's a little more valuable than going on Facebook and Instagram and all that good stuff. Oh, shit. You wise man. Well, I, I, try, I, I tried it for a week, and, and, and I found myself at 3 o'clock in the morning looking up shit that just didn't make any sense to me. And you go down like, the rabbit hole. Yeah. That's how it works. Yeah, yeah, that, the that rabbit happens. hole? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly where I went. <laughs> <laughs> like, this, this is, no, no. Yeah, I've taken I've taken I've taken pretty extensive breaks off of it. And there's at one point I was pretty militant about it, and people would be like on all these different Instagram and Snapchat and all that, and I'd be like, "Why are you so busy watching other people live their lives when well, you're not I, even living your own?" But I, I, here I am. I'm a social media whore now. It's pretty bad. Well, I, picture, photos would show up with people would tag my name on it, and it was just. I don't even want to be associated with these people. I don't want to have them be in a picture with my name tag. <laughs> <laughs> no, and, 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 and business-wise, too, I, I can only imagine, you know, um, some of my clients seeing, you know, some of the off-color stuff that gets posted from the people I know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, we have some degenerate friends as well. Uh, we had a degenerate. We, be put it nicely. Oh, really? Some, some of the stuff that, <laughs> that I've seen. Well, before about. we get too far off track with degenerate stuff and whatnot, let's finish this introductions. A sneeze away from being on my lamp, lamp, lamp. <laughs> Turn his lights on. Turn my turning my lights on adjacent to the left of me is Anthony Tatum. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. We got Doctor David Slack back there mixing, mastering, and doing his thing. <sighs> Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 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 Wow. What was that? And then this this sponsor this podcast is sponsored by Sissy Art. If you haven't followed Sissy Art on Instagram yet, you're you're fucking up, man. You need to get on there. You need to follow her. She's doing even more stuff now. Recently, she's decided to start printing your logo on cups and koozies. Koozies. Yeah, koozies. You know, you got a logo you want to put on a koozie. Maybe you got a business. Maybe you just got some dumb thing you want to put on a koozie and. You can be like, I'm the only person with this koozie. It's special. 
follow Sissy Art, man. That's uh, at. I think I'd really like that. Mm-hmm. And that was Sissy Art's stepmom, actually, right there. That's really gonna like that. Mm. So S I S S Y A R T on Instagram. And today we have a very special guest, and I said about all our guests, but this guest is very special. Mm-hmm. He is a man that um, I've had the absolute pleasure of going to his house on Mondays. Um, and his wife cooks a big dinner for everybody and we sit around and we talk about accountability and we talk about um, responsibility and we talk about some of the crazy things that we've gone through in our life or are currently gone through and it gives us the opportunity um, to be accountable to each other which was a really cool experience for me and I'm a little sad I haven't been there recently but you know what I can say is that this man opens his house up to people and it is... Uh, it's just a really beautiful thing. And I, I've learned an immense amount from this man, like how to shave my entire body. Mm-hmm. Um, ball bomb. Ball bomb, baby. If y'all ever hear this, we'll take you as a sponsor. Trust me. I'm very, very hairy and I need some help over here. <laughs> well, and again, Tim, thank you for coming on. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm happy to be here. You know, when you <clears throat> when you said uh, special guest, I'm I'm thinking about the special bus. You know, the short bus. <laughs> and I know that's exactly where I came from. Yeah? Yeah. Well, and Tim, like Chad said, he opens up his home to us. His home is beautiful. He lives a amazing life. Tim actually was telling us when we were out to breakfast this morning, he goes out to Hawaii for three months out of the year. He runs a business, wakes up at 2 a.m. in the fucking morning. The only time I see 2 a.m. is on the wrong side of it. And uh, he gets some work done and handles his business, works throughout the entire day, runs a huge company has a beautiful <clears throat> wife that he's incredibly happy with and that's something that I looked at Tim for is kind of talking about sustainability in a relationship and keeping it romantic and things like that. So maybe Tim, you could tell us a little bit about what your life looks like today. We get it into the, uh, what is it, sordid fucking history for you to get here. Um, and wow. Then, yeah. Um, you know, I have an incredible relationship today. Um, for for a long long time I was no good at relationships I had zero skills in it and and it was always I always placed the burden on them it was up to them to make me happy mm-hmm. and it, 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 I, I found out um, through a lot of trials and errors that that I need to create happiness inside me and when I when I when I was finally happy with myself and and could look myself in the eye and say I like me um, I was able to find someone uh, to like me, you know. Yeah, um, it's kind of interesting that you, you talk, you 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 segue right into relationships because uh, yesterday was um, our fourth wedding anniversary. Oh, congrats! Wow. <laughs> well, it, actually, it wasn't our wedding anniversary. It was our it was our engagement anniversary, which I I, I think was really more more special than our, our wedding anniversary because our wedding anniversary there was. Um, for our wedding, there was 350 people there. It was a big event, and it, and it was a beautiful sharing of our um, of our vows. Um, but we were surrounded by so many people, and it was it was a big event, and it was more of a um, people that affected our lives and, and the lives of people that we've affected. And like I say, there was a 350 people there, so it was a big magical day. But when we were engaged, it was just Janice and I, and. Um, and I knew I wanted to marry her long before I asked her to marry me. And, and we, uh, we were planning a trip to Europe. Mm-hmm. And, and I thought, oh, okay, this is going to be great. And for, 
for six months I thought about it and, and we were going to go to Paris and they okay I'm going to ask her to marry me under the Eiffel Tower yeah you know what it, a stud it, 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 you know, it, was, it was truly amazing um, we travel quite a bit when we travel uh, we have a photographer we usually get a photographer for an afternoon to take pictures you know instead of asking people on the street corner to take pictures we, we have someone take pictures for us and we hired this guy named Pierre. <laughs> Pierre. So Pierre, cliche. Yeah, Pierre Poisson. Pierre from uh, Paris. And he followed <laughs> us around. We went to the Louvre. And then we went to a little um, cafe. And then uh, and then we went to the Eiffel Tower. And I remember uh, we had this key word. And he said, you know, um, when I say this is the perfect light for the perfect picture, you should get on your knee. And I and I remember he said that you know this is the perfect light for the perfect picture. And I fell to my knees to to propose to my wife, and and it was just magical. It was just magical. Um, she started crying. I started crying. We're both crying, and uh, but we both knew, and. Um, and I, 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 like I say, the wedding was was really sweet and super special. But I think that um, at that point, um, when I asked her to marry me, that it was just it was magical. It was absolutely magical, and we were in this magical place. And um, so, let me ask you this real quick. So, when you say that you knew that you guys wanted to be, had you been married prior? I'd been married a, actually a couple times prior. <laughs> and there's and there's some stories behind both of those. Oh. Um, <laughs> Practice wise, um, right? Well, it wasn't. I don't know if <laughs> practice wise. I just um, I remember when I got sober. There was I was around some people that um, that I admired and looked up to, and and I was my life started coming together and doing well. And I looked around and and uh, these people had wives and and they seemed happy and mm-hmm. and so I uh, I immediately said I, I equated happiness to having a wife. Even though I was I was woefully unprepared for any of that, but I, I actually went out. Um, I had this thought that I needed a wife, you know. So I I went on this Google dating site, and um, and I promptly found a wife, and and we, 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 we went out we went out on I think three dates, and on the fourth date I think we got married. And when um, was this? What year was this? God, this was uh, probably 15, 16 years ago. Okay. And um, and oh my God, I remember I didn't even I, I invited one person from the fellowship, you know, uh, to the wedding, and um, and I remember calling Doug, um, who who sponsors me, and, and he's like, oh my God, <laughs> and he says, you know, a couple things are going to happen, Tim. Either either you're going to get close to me, or you're going to get close to God on this one, you know, and it it it, it, it went horrible. It went horrible. And uh, you know, uh, the, the 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 marriage lasted for three months. Um, the divorce that after that lasted 15, 16 months, and, Fuck. It, and it was so painful. Yeah. Um, she, this this woman had uh, had hired this attorney, and he was vicious, and he was drumming up stuff when I was like twelve years old, <laughs> shoplifting. You know. Telling you know the, the the judge that I was such a bad person and that she deserved every penny of what I had and she actually tried to take my business. Holy shit! Yeah, she uh, she had she her and her attorney had this ex parte motion and I do nothing about ex parte motions. 
uh, like I do now, but I have no um, idea what you're talking about. Well, it didn't ex parte means I didn't have to participate in the hearing, so it was kind of a secret hearing where they were going to the judge and and asking the judge to turn over my business to her because uh, I was I was an addict, and um, and I was sober at the time. I was 100% sober, but because I was an addict, I didn't deserve to have this business. Just some cutthroat. It was, human beings. Well, I mean, the, the, what 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 started off the divorce was I I, I came home from uh, work and I had a call from my accountants and they said, um, um, "Gal says you need to come over. I, I think we need to talk about some checks that this uh, um, woman's writing." And I said, "Well, she's my wife. She's writing checks. Of course, she can write checks." She goes, "Well, I think we need to talk about these checks." And so I went down and and she was this gal was writing. Uh, Ten, twenty, and thirty thousand dollar checks out of the back of the, the checkbook, and posting them in her daughter's account, and then pulling it, and and I I was oblivious to it, and um, she had sucked up about seventy or eighty thousand dollars, which blew me away, and I promptly came home and said, "This has got to stop, and you have to leave because I can't do this." Yeah, and and she said. Um, she goes, well, I'm not leaving, and, and I took that money because half of your money is my money. And I said, oh, no, 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 wait a minute. And, and <laughs> no, I said, no, you no. know, I'm, I'm going to leave for the weekend, and when I come back, you need to be gone. And um, we were in a house that I had owned, and, and I remember coming home on a Sunday um, and coming in, and all of her belongings were still there. And I was shocked. And um, all of a sudden, there was a knock on the door, and it was the police department. And she had filed a restraining order while I was gone for that weekend. And the police came in and said, you have to leave. And I said, this is my house. This is not her house. This is my house. And they said, well, unfortunately, you'll need to talk to the judge about that. And um, was escorted out of my house. Holy shit, Tim. Yeah. No. This, and this what was, a mess this was. This was a complete mess. And like I said, and I called Doug crying. He's like, oh, like I said, you're going to get close to me. You're going to get close to God. And, <laughs> and I had no idea what God had in store for me, but I was not happy at all. I was I was uh, devastated. And, um, and I remember going to the court the following Monday, and um, the judge asked her, you know, did, did he hit you? And she goes, no. And he said, did he push you around? No. Did he spit on you? And he goes, no, no. She said, no, no. And he goes, well, what did he do? Well, he yelled at me about some money that, that's mine that he that I had taken. And the judge says, well, unfortunately, that's, that's not a restraining order, and you've kind of misled the court. And he goes, I, I need, you're going to have to move from that house because that's his house. And, and then up popped her attorney and... And I don't know if it's that way anymore in Arizona, but in Arizona, if a restraining order is followed or filed and then followed up by a divorce action, because you opt up, we filed for divorce this morning. If, it's, if a restraining order is followed up by a divorce action, the restraining order stays in place till the end of the divorce. Wow, just so, to catch a little like uh, loophole. Yeah, it was a little loophole. And so they, the judge says, I'm sorry, my hands are tied, Mr. Beers. You're going to have to find a place to live until this whole divorce is over what a fucking mess and there was a three like i said it was like a three-month marriage that you know was going south and and then it just got worse it yeah just, I, I mean it just got I, it just got worse and so for me i i know with my wife i was with my wife for just over five years before we got married 
And I knew that there was no one else I wanted to build my ideal life with, like as far as having a family and settling down and buying a home. And I kind of still had that reservation that maybe I was just gonna run away one day. It wasn't like I was fantasizing about just other women. There's definitely no one in particular, but it was hard for me to imagine just kind of consigning myself to giving all into this. But it sounds like you were hoping on that. You were just looking for that. Then when you met Janice though, you quickly knew that this was the person. This is my teammate. I, I knew long before. Um, you know, I, I, I resolved myself at one point to say, you know, I, I, I'm just going to get a dog. You know? <laughs> I'm just going to get a dog and I'll occasionally date and, yeah. and that'll be about it. And, um, and I remember um, the first time I saw Janice, uh, God, it seems so long ago. Um, but the first time I saw her, guys, she is just amazing. Yeah. And I remember saying to myself, my God, she is so beautiful. I, and I, I, I thought to myself in the back, I'd never have a chance with that woman. She's just, and, and she was so graceful and so elegant. And and I, I, I kid her around. She was Mary Tyler Moore. And I don't <laughs> know if any of you, if you guys know what Mary Tyler Moore was, but back when I was, you know, like 10, 11 years old, Mary Tyler Moore had a TV show and she was just the hit. She was, mm, she was the cat's meow. And she um, brought you into manhood. She mm. brought me into manhood. That Well, her and Farrah Fawcett. Um, <laughs> I used to have a Farrah Fawcett poster in my bedroom, but no, uh, Janice is just, she's just amazing. And um, so I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to take it back to yesterday because yesterday was our, uh, and you asked, how do we keep it alive? Mm -hmm. And, um, I'm just a true romantic. You know, I leave her love post-it notes throughout the house. You know, I'll put something in her, you know, I put one in her drawer last week. It said, uh, I love it when you wear these lilac panties. <laughs> <laughs> or, or none at all. Or none at all. You know, I left a little note for her, you know, or, or uh, on the visor of her car, I'll, I'll leave a note. You're my hero. I love you more than anything. And she flipped out her visor and she, you know, um, Did you always have that in you? Like, were you doing those sort of things even for your your crazy? No, God, no, God, no, 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 not at all. Um, I, I know that I I want my wife to know how much I love her, mm -hmm. and uh, and I want to show her. And every day when I get up in the morning, I you know I think of ways to to make her smile. I do because I I want her to make me smile. And I know that if I want something, then I got to do something. And um, so, so we're coming up to this uh, our anniversary, our engagement anniversary. And and I got to thinking, you know, God, that was a sp pretty special time. And I, and and I spent all week thinking about, you know, when we were in Paris and the things we did because we we went on a whole European tour that that trip. And um, so I found this I found this little uh, um, French restaurant. Mm -hmm. I thought, you know, I'll take her to a fresh French restaurant, you know, and, and then my mind starts playing a little more. Well, you know how to do this, how to do that. So I found the jacket that I was wearing when I proposed to her and the scarf that I was wearing. And I found the jacket that she was wearing. And I, I told her, I said, okay, we're going to go to the movies tomorrow. And uh, so I went and put the, my jacket in the trunk of the car and I took her jacket down to this little French bistro called Paris Cafe. Okay. And um, I got with the people that run the place down there, and they set up a little table outside with an umbrella, and and um, 
and I had a picture from our um, from our engagement and and all the pictures from when we were in Paris and I put them all on this photo album and and I, so I, so I went home and I said okay we're gonna go to we're gonna go to lunch mm-hmm. or we're gonna go to the movies but we're gonna stop for lunch real quick I, oh, I said oh by the way I gotta stop at this paint store and pay for this paint real quick and and I pull in and she's not looking and and I get out and I get in the trunk and I put my jacket on and I got my scarf on. Of course, it's ninety degrees out, <laughs> you know. And uh, I open the door and, and the car. And she goes, "What?" And she looks over her shoulder and sees a sign that says Paris Cafe, and she starts crying, you know. Oh no! What did you do? You know. And and um, she saw this little table all done up for us and and she goes, "Where did I've never seen this place before? Because it's right around the corner from our house." And uh, I said, I painted this. I came down last night. I had to paint the sign, you know, and put a storefront together for you. <laughs> she's like, oh, my gosh, you did? Oh, she's like, Fuh. you know, the tears are coming out. And, mm-hmm. and um, it was, and I got on my knee and, um, and I proposed to her again. Oh fucking! My fucking wife listens to this, Tim. You got to calm it down. You <laughs> send this and, fucking and, and, bar and, and, up. And, and we're and we're and we're both <clears throat> back four years ago when we were in Paris, and we're both crying, and we're just mm-hmm. um, we're we're so in love with each other. Yeah, you know, it, it's 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 a it's such a sweet deal. It sounds like it doesn't take much work for you. It doesn't. It, it doesn't at all. I mean, I I uh, I remember not uh, well years ago watching this. Um, Dr. Phil, you know. Mm-hmm. Oh, I know who Dr. Phil is. Yeah, you know, and uh, he, he this couple comes out and he and he says, you know, how's your relationship? And and the wife they they look at each other and they laugh and the yeah. wife looks over. Well, we get through the rough times so we can get through the good times, and um, and I rem- and I remember what those kind of relationships are like. I absolutely do. They they're painful. Yeah. You know, um, and 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 chance that we just don't have rough times. Nothing's a big deal. Okay. There's just nothing that's a big deal. We don't we don't fight about anything. We don't. I mean, every once in a while, I'll say something that's that just doesn't come out right. I love it when you wear these lilac panties. Yeah, you say things like that. <laughs> she likes that though. No, no, no but uh, you know, I, I'll I'll say something that, that that's selfish and self-centered and. And usually within a couple minutes, it hits me that what I just said. And, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but with her, it's uh, you know I've, I've been in relationships where something like that gets said, and and for two weeks you're walking on eggshells. Yeah, well, and I think your experience and all the time on Earth is is a testament to all of that. I know for me and my wife, we are incredibly be- like blessed to not have the same temperament. She's a lot more high strung. Me, I kind of just I'm I'm, I'm unobservant, so I don't even see that shit's going on if. It doesn't really affect me very often, but I know for sure in hearing what you're saying is it reminds me of the importance of getting flowers and showing affection and doing these things because I get so fucking lost in life, man. I mean, I'm at work or I'm running over here and doing these things and doing that thing. Meanwhile, she's, you know, carrying my baby at home and, you know, has the house and right. taking care of the groceries and doing the laundry and she works a full time job and. You know, we get mixed up, but that's a beautiful thing. And so for you, where you're traveling and taking your wife to these places and doing these incredibly romantic things, did you come from money? Were you born into money and having the ability to do this stuff? No, absolutely not. Well, I, I, actually, I was thinking about that this morning when I were driving over from breakfast about um, my family. And, and 
my family didn't we didn't struggle for money but my but my parents um they were hard workers um i remember as a child growing up my mom and dad my dad checking out to go to work at seven o'clock in the morning yeah and so i'd see him about a half an hour before that and then um i would see him at six thirty or seven o'clock when he got home what do you do well, he uh, he went to college for his engineering degree, and uh, what kind of engineer? Uh, I want to say a civil engineer. Yeah, uh, but he never used that. While he was going to college, he worked for uh, a carpet store, and he would go out and measure homes for carpeting. And when he uh, God, he, I bet those were fucking exact carpets. You had a fucking engineer well, measuring them. No, I know exactly. He's like, today I asked him to, you know, we're doing blinds in a house and I'll have him measure, go to the house and do measurement for blinds because that's what they did for a while. And it's always within a gnat's ass and it's like really close. <laughs> ass. You know, it's pretty, pretty, pretty tight. But uh, no, he, uh, uh, he put himself through college, um, worked at a place called Pruitt's. Yeah, down there on Thirty Second Street in Thomas. Oh, you're from here. From here. No from shit. Here. And um, when he got out of when he got out of college, he went to work for Sperry, and he was in the engineering department there. And he was funny. He'd he'd be at lunch. He'd go to lunch, and his his partner in the engineering department was a guy named uh, Karsten Solheim. And they would go out and take breaks at lunch, and and Karsten would get out this little putter, and he'd, he'd, he'd be engineering this putter. And I don't know if you guys know who Karsten Solheim is, but mm -hmm. he invented ping. No fucking way. Yeah. So he invented the ping putter. But my my dad would uh, would go with him at lunch, and they'd figure out the engineering on this putter stuff. Wow. And, Just and, a side hustle. And, Meanwhile, during Sperry, we just right, created Ping. Right. And my, my mom, she actually typed some of... Uh, my mom was a, a good typist. She actually typed up some of Karsten's original patents. So... Kind of a kind of a wild deal. That's an amazing deal. Yeah. And then for yeah. you, did you high school? Did you finish your education? Did horrible in high school. Horrible. Well, I, what, what's well, horrible? I, I was just a, a, a C and you know D student. I just, mm -hmm. um, I, I just, uh, I'd smoke pot every day. Oh yeah. And I, you know, ditch class and uh, my parents were would start by they had their own business by then. But we knew that I knew they were gone all day, so would all would all break from school and would all head over to my house, you know, for afternoon um, bong hits and and drinking. <laughs> my parents had, had had one of the original kegerators, so we'd empty that pretty frequently. And um, I, I thought I, th I I look back today as as high school was probably the biggest party I ever went to. Yeah, it just was. Did you finish? I did. I did. I scraped by. I, I think if uh, if I were in today's standards, that they wouldn't have passed me. I think they were just tired of my shit and said, "Let's just get him on. Get him out. out. Get him out. Let's get him just out. get him out of here." Yeah. You know. And, and then college after. I I know. I didn't go to college after. I I went straight to uh, straight to prison. Straight to fucking prison. No, not straight. Um, for a whole bunch of years, I um, floundered around and you know part time gigs, and I always gonna was always going to figure it out and but I just I just uh, smoking dope and cocaine what and was dope back then is that weed weed okay 
weed and we i don't i don't know what weed's like today i understand weed's a little different than it was about 50 years ago mm-hmm. just but, a little uh, uh this <laughs> but uh no it was, it was cocaine i had found cocaine at that point and that became my um my daily drug yeah so it just ran off on using cocaine and figuring out ways to keep it in your body figuring out ways to keep my body fuck man and then prison well when i i about uh, God, when was it about 1990 um my friends would start vanishing um they, they'd had it with me i had a best friend in high school and it, i'd wake up in the morning on a saturday or come to in the morning and he'd be in there and it, it, we shared an apartment he'd be shaking his head and i'm like what happened last night he says oh gosh I said, no, really, what happened? He says, well, you, you should probably get a billboard. I said, well, get a billboard. And he says, yeah, get a billboard with your picture on it, no, and just say, I'm sorry, Phoenix, because you offended half the state last night, <laughs> you know, half the city, you know, and, and it was just, uh, I just didn't care, you know, I didn't. I'd go into a bar and I'd, and I'd say, what can I get you? And I'd say, drunk. <laughs> and, and, and that would be about it. Or I'd say I'd say something flippant like, "Give me a Jack Daniels with a splash of scotch." You know, I was very belligerent. And um, well, and back then, were you drinking and using for a reason? Did you feel like there was a reason why you're doing it? Just having a good time? No, I thought I thought I was having a good time. Yeah. You know, most a lot of my friends were off in college, and I just I was out to have a good time. One hell of a good time, and I didn't. I didn't realize that you know that it just things were getting worse. Things were getting worse, and I didn't recognize them getting worse. And then um, I remember being about twenty three and going to treatment. Um, I, everyone knew I kind of had a drinking problem, but I remember going to treatment and um, them saying, you know, what about drugs? Oh no, there's no drugs, just drinking, you know, and. Of course, I didn't tell him anything about this little non-addictive cocaine habit I had. <laughs> yeah, your favorite. Yeah, and it was Saint. It was Saint Luke's down there on Van Buren, and I remember going down there and being in there for like thirty days, and they let me out on a pass, like on the twenty-eighth day, and I was going to go home and get my affairs in order. And I remember going home, and and of course you're, you're driving down Van Buren. You know what was Van Buren home. like then? Van Buren was ho row. It still was, is. Still, I don't know. I, I don't know about that. Um, but there was, you know. I'll tell you what. If Van Buren has cleaned up even a fucking little bit, it was a goddamn nightmare when you were doing it because it is a bad uh, place to be right uh, now. It, it was a zoo. You go, you go down there, and there, there must have been, you know, a thousand prostitutes, you know, on a weekend just out there. Yeah, I mean, the indigent yeah, population was, was Cass. Was it Cass back then? Or no, it wasn't Cass. It was... Um, no, it was um, Lark. Called? Lark, that's right. It was Lark, yeah. Um, but it was, it, was, it was a war zone. And I, I, remember, I remember driving back to that treatment center after that day pass, and, and I just could not stop myself. I could not not use. And I remember picking up a, um, a, a 40 piece of uh, crack and... Um, and going into this uh, treatment center, and you had private rooms, and I remember going into the bathroom, and I'm I'm huddled up underneath the vanity, and I'm smoking this crack, you know, in a treatment center, and um, just not knowing and not caring. How old you were know? you? You said 90? 
Yeah, I want to say I was about 23, 24 then. That was my first treatment center. And um, and, I, and I, remember, I remember going to Crossroads directly from that treatment center. Mm. And um, I remember, because no one, no one's really on to me smoking crack at the facility. But I remember uh, within a short time, I was kind of kicked out of, out of uh, inpatient that, that followed the treatment. And uh, and being in crossroads, and then getting kicked out of crossroads, and um, just floundering around doing you know, just doing nothing. Yeah. And um, I was doing some telemarketing gigs back then, working for these police officers. They had this police magazine, and I would call you up. Was and smoking say, crack and working for the cops. Uh, well, it was a retired cop, and and he was more you know. He was more felonist than I was at that time. Hell, they, they would, they, we, we would, we were, our, our, our pitch was this. This is, this is Sam Bass, Arizona police officer. How are you today, Mrs. Jones? You know, and we'd pretend like we were police officers on the phone and we'd ask him, we'd tell him that uh, if they gave us money, we'd give them a bumper sticker for their car. And we'd tell them, you know, this doesn't get you out of a ticket, but it sure lets the police officers know that they're behind, you're behind them. Oh, you know, and we'd do the, the quick the quick sale of 125 bucks, and we either get 25 bucks of it. And um, I did that for a while, and uh, and then I remember going to. Uh, I thought telemarketing was pretty cool, you know, because you could you could get loaded as much as you want instead of. Just show up every once in a while, and then I got this job for uh, for Ford Motor Company. Uh, they were, they were selling extended warranties, and I remember going to this guy, and everyone in in the in the place had uh, suits on, and I was you know I was pretty scraggly, and um, the guy says, "Well, you know, we're not really looking right now," and and I remember from my sister, you know, talking about you know just having some. Uh, um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Well, at any rate, here's the deal. She said, you know, you should keep going back there and applying. So I remember going back to the guy's office like the next day. And he says, oh, no, I told you yesterday we're not hiring. I said, I said, okay, well, I was just checking to see if maybe anything opened up. And then uh, then I went back like two days later and said, <laughs> uh, so are you looking for anyone right now? And he goes, oh, I, I told you, uh, you know, last week that, you know, we're not, we're not looking for anyone right now. And, and I did this like seven or eight times. Holy Just shit. kept showing at this guy's door. Finally, he said, you know, all right, come into my office. And I remember going into his office and, um, and we're sitting there. And he says, you know, you, what's, what's it going to take for get you to stop coming here? And I said, you're just going to have to give me a job. <laughs> you know? And the guy says, okay. He goes, all right, Tim, where, where do you want to be a year from now? And I remember standing up and, and looking around this guy's office and looking back at the guy, I said, well, this is a pretty nice office. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the guy really liked that. The guy, the guy, one, liked that I didn't take no for an answer and, uh, and, and thought something special in me. But anyway, I started working for them, and within uh, – Within about two months, I was number one in the office, and and everyone was starting to dress like me. They weren't wearing suits anymore. I was going to ask, did you buy a suit? I did. I, well, I bought a tie, and I bought a briefcase. You know, there was, the only thing that was in that briefcase was was dope you know, and, a, and, a, and a bottle of Jack Daniels. Um, but uh, I played the part for a while. But 
people, uh, <laughs> uh, the owner of the company started thinking, you know what, I don't need all these suits, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, we're in we're a telemarketing office, you don't need suits, hell. And um, no, I did, I did really well at that. Um, when I showed up, I'd get paid on the, on the first and, and of course wouldn't show back up till like the seventh and I get paid on the 15th and then I wouldn't show back up to like the 23rd, Jeez, you know, just going to tear. Yeah. I would go on these runs and, and I'd go here to zero every month. You know, I mean, I'd, I'd be a hero at the end of the month and then zero out again and, and then show up like on the seventh and just work my ass off and. And do great and you know be the hero at the end of the month and it and this went back and forth back and forth back and forth and and again a, a lot of my fam my family was you know quite concerned because of my weight loss and um, I'd you know not show up for Christmas and I'd I'd miss New Year's and certainly Thanksgiving was was off the off the table mm. and um, and I remember my friends just feared for me yeah and and a friend of mine was was working with me um she went for another company in oregon and she called me from there saying hey you should really come up here man we're 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 really going to town and um and i thought okay this is great you know i can leave arizona i can quit doing all this dope and i can just change you know i can start fresh that's what i'll do i'll just move to oregon and i'll start fresh yeah and let's actually and let's pause there because that's perfect and so i love the geographical change idea what we are we're about 38 minutes we're going to come back we're probably going to do the same amount here in a second but we're on a run right now and then we'll get to talking about how the hell you go from carrying a briefcase full of cocaine and jack daniels into a car dealership to marrying your wife underneath the eiffel tower or engaging to her so this is a beautiful story i think we got a lot in between there so we'll be there's a a lot of space between that (laughs) that. (laughs) we'll be right back Turn me up, box me out of this right now, dude. <laughs> okay, I'll just let you do your thing because I know your fingers are gonna get tired, and then I'm gonna come right back at you, bud. That's okay. I'm okay with it. <laughs> I like it. So we went on a break. We did some nicotine. Mm-hmm. Mm. Feeling a little bit better. I'm a little under the weather today, guys. Yeah, I'm going to take over. Chad's not feeling so good. Thank you so much, honestly, <laughs> because I asked him before we came back if you'll just take this right now because I'm not feeling good. So before we went to break, Tim was telling us and just kind of everything that you've told us. You're in an amazing relationship now. But then we went back in your history and you were a CD I don't think student. it's a relationship. I think it's a life 
partnership. Oh, look at that. You sappy man, you romantic man through and through. So Tim was a CD student. He was a coke addicted car. What did you do for Ford? I sold, uh, I sold the extended warranty programs. Oh, you know, I get those guy, phone calls guy. now. I get them now. Oh, yeah, like, Tim set that totally. structure up. He wrote the script. And right. so he's coming into the office with a briefcase with some cocaine in it, some Jack Daniels. And you said you were offered to make a geographic move trying to fix your life. And what I know that we need to cover is a lot of fucking ground because you're in with a briefcase doing cocaine in the car. And now your life is where it's at. So kind of help us to understand what took place to get you to where you are now. Well, when I, I I moved to Oregon and I thought everything would you know just start over and I'd be okay and that just wasn't the case. Um, I found out that cocaine arrived about a half an hour before I got there, and um, <laughs> Stop. and I was kind of stuck. And um, the, the the difference was that uh, I had uh, um, I didn't have anyone to worry about. I mean, I was kind of all alone, and I had no one looking over my shoulder. So. Course, I picked right up back where I where I left off before I moved, and um, and within a relatively short period of time, um, was locked up and jobless and homeless, mm. and I lived that way for the following uh, twelve years. Uh, if I was not locked up, I was on the streets, and if I wasn't on the streets, I was locked up. Does it mean all the way homeless? <laughs> all the way homeless, and I, I found it. I mean. I'd get out of being locked up and I'd be on probation and and I'd be doing the right thing and and in some sort of um, halfway house um, up there they call them Oxford houses and um, but within a short period I'd be back using again I just could not stop using so how do you change uh, I woke up in in Oregon um, after I'd gotten out of uh, prison and um, I'm on, under under the under this bridge. I built this. You talk about being boxed in. I was in this box I built. Um, it was on t- two pallets, and uh, I had a piece of plywood as a back wall. And on the front wall, I had an Arcadia door, and I had a plywood roof that briar bushes that had grown over. And uh, that was where I was to live. You know, I I lived there, and I also lived in a basement of a guy's a. Um, my dealer's apartment and there was a basement and what he would do is um he would uh he would give me enough dope to get me through the night and then uh about four o'clock in the morning five o'clock in the morning there'd be a beep and that would mean come up and get your morning dose and i'd come up and he'd give me a little bit of cocaine just enough to wake me up and then he'd send me out to the streets every day to commit crimes and when I say commit crimes, I you know I'd go into hardware stores and steal stuff, or I'd, I'd go to lumber yards and steal lumber, or um, just whatever I could steal, I would steal. And when I got home for the afternoon, he would give me my dose to get me through to about four o'clock the next morning, and there'd be a prompt beep, you know, which meant come up and get your morning dose. And ah, what a miserable existence! It, it was a, well, it was the only existence I knew, and and. My family didn't know where I was or what I was doing. Every time I got locked up, I would call them and I'd reach out to them for help and and oh yeah, I'm gonna change, I'm gonna change. And it just, change never happened. Yeah, Change never happened. And then one morning I woke up um, outside of my shack that I was living in and um, there was this guy that was dead. And um, 
we had been I know the night before we had been shooting heroin and cocaine and but he was dead this morning and I and my thought was oh geez I wonder where his dope is you know it wasn't like oh gosh this poor guy it was like uh, I bet he has some more dope and um, I was wanted by a whole bunch of crimes at that point and, and I figured the best thing I could do is is get out of town um, so I went back and I got on a bus and I went to I came back to Arizona yep and I knocked on my mom and dad's door knock 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 and my dad's like what the hell are you doing here and I said well you know I need some help I'm dying here you know my my hair was you know had some sort of afro on and and were you um, about 30 35 uh, I was 35 I was 35 and and my dad says you're not welcome here and I said you know really if you don't help me you're probably never gonna see me again and he said you know Sonny we we've kind of came to that conclusion that we weren't going to see you again so you're not welcome here and and I remember putting the screws to my mom because she was standing there in the doorway and I said look I really need some help and and my dad saying you know um you're just not welcome here and and finally they lamented and uh they said okay you can stay here for 30 days um you're not allowed to sleep in any of the bedrooms you're asleep on the couch and um you're out at seven o'clock in the morning and you're back at five o'clock at night and I remember starting, I started going to Scottsdale Fellowship Club back then. And um, they told me that this, this this kind of deal was, arrangement was gonna last 30 days. And by 30 days, I had to figure something out. And I remember on the 28th, 29th day, waking up and I was in uh, the county jail downtown on Madison. <clears throat> For prior crimes? No, there was obviously new crimes. I had no idea why I was there. I woke up and I was in lockup and they had me locked up in this murder pod, you know, and I had no idea why I was there. And they, and they waltzed me in front of this judge the next morning for a, a hearing, a bond hearing or whatever they call it. Uh, it was a bond hearing. And uh, the judge says, let's see here, uh, our reports show that you're, uh, um, you're homeless and you're living on the streets. You're a six-time convicted felon. Um, you're wanted here in Arizona, but you're also wanted in Oregon. You're also wanted in Arizona, or in, in Washington. And um, you know, we did a little pre-screening. You've been through a dozen treatment centers. Uh, he's just laying it all out, nice and thick. And um, he says, you know, I don't find that any, any of that shocking. I'm a judge, uh, and I, I see this every day. It's a shame, but I see it every day. And I don't find it shocking at all. Um, but what I do find shocking is is that uh, your mom and dad are in the courtroom right now, and 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 they're scared and they're frightened of you, you know. Um, and I think they want they want they want me to lock you up as long as I possibly can. They're scared of you and they're frightened of you. And I and I remember looking out of the corner of my eye, and, and there's my daddy staring off, you know, in this ten thousand mile stare, and and my mom's got these tears rolling down her cheek, and and. Uh, I ended, I didn't go home that night. <laughs> I didn't. They they kept me locked up, and um, and I don't know that the, my folks completely had given up on me. Um, I knew that they were done, mm -hmm. and um, I mean I knew I knew my, my dad was done. My dad was through with me, and uh, my mom she. I don't think she ever really gave up on me. I think she was just scared to death, and and I have a sister too, and I think she was scared and. Um, no one really knew what to do with me and but this judge was going to do something with me and they, they kept me locked up for quite a while um and i remember getting pulled into this little waiting room outside the the courthouse and uh this this public defender 
public pretender mm-hmm. that came in and he says you know you you got a bunch of problems legal problems that i can probably help with but but you have some pretty serious other problems that i i i, I can't help with at all and there's some meetings going on here in this place and and um i suggest you check into those meetings because they might be able to help you and uh, i remember meeting doug for the first time at a cocaine anonymous meeting that he would bring into jail and i remember hemming him up and and telling him that the shit wouldn't work you know i, I tried it and and he said of course not it's not going to work for you and and left and then he uh he actually came back and I waited a week and I, that son of a bitch, you know. <laughs> I remember going back to my cell that night and just weeping because I I knew that I just even if even if I got out of this scrape somehow, that I just could not stop using. I had come to that conclusion that there's nothing I could do to stop using, and I, I remember waiting a week and he came back and I hemmed him up as he came in the door and said, you know, listen here, pal, you know, you need to give me some hope because uh, I'm dying here, you know, and. And you telling me that I don't have to live this way or feel this way ever again just doesn't do it for me. Because uh, I've tried this stuff. And, uh, and he says, well, you know, the reason why it won't work for you because it, it's not supposed to. Um, you're supposed to work for it. And what we do is we get sober and we go out and we help other people get sober. And that's how we stay sober. Um, you know, and I said, he kind of had me at that. And I, I said, okay, how do I get sober? And he says, you're not listening. And he says... He says, uh, I can't tell you how to get sober. I can just tell you how I got sober. And if you do the things that I did, you might have the same experience I had. And, and, and he came back and saw me every week. In the jail? In the jail. Yeah, he, he, had been, he had been carrying messages into the jail for about 12, 14 years at that time. And, um, and he came back and saw me every week. And we started doing step work while I was, in, while I was locked up. And I remember uh, going in front of the judge again, um, and uh, back then there, there was a deal that if you uh, if your crimes your original I was a felony fel, uh, convicted felon, and because my prior felonies for, were from out of state, most of them were from Oregon, um, and they weren't of a violent nature, um, that they couldn't attach those to my new charges. So they had to treat me like a first-time felon. And um, what happened was um, the state came in and they offered me a year and a day in prison or three years probation. And I'm like, oh, great. Give me the year and a day, you know. Um, I didn't want to do the whole probation thing because I had done that before and I had failed miserably at it. And then uh, Doug says, no, you're going you're gonna to do the, the three years probation. I said, no, 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 you don't understand. He goes, no, 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 you don't understand. Mm-hmm. You're going to do everything they say to do and you're just going to do it. You know, I can't help you if you're locked up. You know, I need you on the outside to help you. And um, so I agreed to it. And this probation thing, they'd show up every, you know, every other night at 2 o'clock in the morning. And you'd have to come up with a schedule of where you were going to go a week in advance. And, and it, it was it was, it was what intensive probation. Um, IPS. Or IS, ISP. Yeah, I think you're IPS. right. IPS. Yeah, IPS. IPS. And, and IPS actually stands for in prison soon. <laughs> you know, because most people, most people don't complete it. And, uh, and I actually, I, what I found was, is, is that probation is actually pretty easy. Um, you just simply have to do everything they say. Mm-hmm. If you do everything they say, you cannot fail. So I just, uh, it somehow something happened in my mind that, that if I did everything that he said, that I'd be all right. 
and I and I just did. And I think um, I, I was on it for three years, and I and I graduated, and um, which I think maybe three percent of the people that go on it graduated. Mm. And um, but you know there, there was a lot of reasons why I graduated. I started working the steps, and for those who understand those, that'd be the steps uh, that Bill Wilson and um, came up with an Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, I did this, started doing the 12 steps with Doug and my life started changing. I mean, like I said, I had been to treatment a whole bunch of times and people would say, you know, they'd give me this big book and say, do the steps and, and go do your four step and let me know when you're done. And Doug and I didn't do it that way. Uh, we sat down and we read a page or I, I'd read a page, he would read a page. I'd read a page, he'd read a page and we'd discuss it and we'd turn the statements in the, in the big book into questions and it'd say, did this happen to you? And and, and he walked me, you know, he, you know, baby, you know, fed me the steps, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I remember when I sat down to do a, do a fourth step or a third, I did my third step prayer with him. I got on my hands and knees and I did this prayer with him and I get up to leave cause I'd been there an hour already. And he says, where the hell are you going? I said, well, I, you know, I thought we were done. And he said, oh, hell no, we're not done. And he opened up the big book and it says next we launched out and we next, Next, we launch out because we found that if, unless we, unless that, this book says this is a vital and crucial step, unless it once followed by a strenuous fact to, um, to do a, uh, an inventory, that it had little or lasting permanent effect. Mm-hmm. So we sat down that day, and I remember sitting in his office, and we must have spent six, seven hours doing a four step. Holy shit. You know, um, he did not give me a pen and a paper and say, go do a four step. We sat down, he got out a pen, he got out a book and he started writing. Tim, who are you mad at? Well, I'm mad at my dad. Well, why are you mad at your dad? Well, my, I never felt good enough. He always made me feel less than, I, you know, um, he'd tell me to mow the grass. I'd mow the grass and he said, well, why didn't you trim the trees? And I'd mow the grass and I'd trim the trees. And next week he said, well, why the hell didn't you wash the car? And uh, next week I trim, do the, you know, trim, trim the grass, do the trees, wash the car. You know, why didn't you wash the driveway before you bring it? It was never, it was never good enough. You know, I, I remember coming home with, with B's and C's. You're not applying yourself well enough. You can do better. You're better than this. You're better than this. Mm-hmm. And then I remember one semester I studied my ass off and I come home with A's and he says, well, you're not taking hard enough classes. <laughs> you know, um, that was the last time I ever got an A because I, you know, it's, it, it just, I, I never felt good enough. But, it, but the thing about it was, I mean, I know today that my father didn't have a father. My father's father was an alcoholic who died on the streets of Arizona or Phoenix. And um, my, my dad did the, the damn best he could. We never, never went without. Mm. We never went out without a, with a hot dinner, you know. Uh, we never, you know, never slept, you know, in, in the car. We, he, he, was a, he was a good provider. And he showed me love the best he knew how. Same with my mom. They're they're both beautiful, loving people. Um, I just I, I somehow went one direction, and he went the other, and that and that's what happened. And today is completely different. They're my biggest fans. They love me uh, unconditionally. Uh, my dad actually uh, works for me a couple of days a week in my company. <laughs> how cool is that? That's kind of that's kind of funny, you know. Um, but, uh, you know, a, a, a lot took place. I remember, um, you know, doing the steps with Doug and, and going to my family's house and wanting to make amends. And my dad said, what the hell are you doing here? And I said, look, I need to make amends. He says, well, I don't know about these amends. And I said, you know, if I don't straighten out the past, then, then 
I'm probably not going to stay sober. And I remember my dad saying, you know, look, I don't think you are going to stay sober, so save your breath and save my time. You're not welcome here. You know, and I don't, I don't think he, he, he meant that in a mean, arrogant way. He just, he, he, they were just done. They were done of my shenanigans. And, um, and, and what I found out was that I needed to start living consistently. And consistently meant my words had to start matching my actions. Yeah. And, and, and what I did to do that was uh, I, I picked a day, and the, and the day was Sunday. And uh, all this didn't, I didn't come up with, Doug came up with. He said, pick a day and pick a time. And I picked a day, and the day was Sunday. And he said, pick a time. I said, Sunday at 3. And he says, okay, Sunday at 3, you're to call your family, and you're allowed to say three things. I love you. I'm thinking about you. Have a nice evening. You're not about to tell them about your life, your woes. You're not about to ask them for anything. <laughs> Don't ask them for anything. Just tell them you love them. You're thinking of them and have a nice evening you do that not tuesdays at two not mondays at four this is sundays at three every sunday at three so every sunday at three i knew what i was doing i wasn't 259 it was three o'clock and sometimes they answered the phones and sometimes they didn't and when they didn't i left a message i love you i'm thinking about you have a nice evening and i think i did that for about six months and my dad said you know hey we're having dinner at five o'clock why don't you come by you know, and uh, it was a spaghetti dinner. I had, I remember helping my mom do dishes. And um, when I was done, I, I left. And, and I remember my dad, he followed me out. I was driving this hoopty car. And um, he followed me out. And I thought, okay, maybe he's going to tell me he loves me. And he didn't do that. And I just left. And But when I tell this story sometimes, he'll say, uh, um, I say, oh, yeah, you, you followed me out to tell me you love me. No, 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 no. I, I followed you out of my house to make sure the shit in your car wasn't shit from my house. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And uh, he, he's kind of funny. But, uh, you know, that, uh, again, that relationship's taken full circle. Um, my, uh, my dad called me about five or six years ago when he was just weeping on the phone. And I didn't know why he was crying. And I... It was a Thursday, and I said, why are you crying, you know? And I thought there was something wrong with my mom. And he says, uh, no, I just hit a hole in one, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and uh, I'm like, a hole in one? He goes, yeah, I just hit a hole in one. And uh, I said, why are you crying? I said, you should be happy. And he says, I am happy. And uh, I said, well, that doesn't make sense. Said, well, I'm happy because I get to call and share it with you, you know? Um, you've become the man I've always wanted you to become. I love you, and all this, you know, stuff. Uh, and I just start, I just started bawling like a baby, <laughs> you know. Um, but I, but I knew at that point that all the horrible, mean, ugly things that I had done to him and my mom and my sister and the whole family um, was was pretty much water under the bridge. That everything had been corrected, and, and it just all that stuff didn't happen in a vacuum. What happened was is, is I. I I changed the way I was living. I matured. I grew up. Um, uh, people showed me how to live life. I mean, Doug uh, showed me the steps and recovery. and But there was Gonzalo that showed me love and compassion. And there was um, Terry Murphy that taught me about relationships. And Doug taught me a lot about relationships, too. I remember, I remember him sitting down um, one time and I asked him about, you know, how do you, how do you be a man? And he says, well, there's a couple things you got to do. Is when you're walking with, with a woman, you, you always walk on the outside, you know. Uh, if you're walking along the side of the street, you walk on the outside. That way you put yourself between them and harm's way, you know. 
Um, he taught me about giving flowers just because, you know. Um, you know, a lot of stuff uh, um, in relationships, I, 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 I knew I was just horrible at them. You know, I knew I was just horrible at relationships. And, and um, this life partnership I'm in today, um, I want to be, um, I want to be thoughtful and I want to be kind and I want to be courageous and I want to be loving and I want to have integrity. And um, so I look for ways to do that every day. I simply do. Well, and you said something very powerful here just a second ago in talking about Doug teaching you these things. And for me, us sitting down with you, a man who is more established in his relationships and more established in his career and, and life and recovery and, and these things that most of us here are actually aspiring to do. And I think a lot of listeners would say, you know, in their life. And you had said that Doug had helped you with some of those things. And then for me, just listening to you, like you're saying, talking about what you're doing for your wife, you know, hopefully I get to take that home and continue to look at where I want to grow towards. And so for you, you're teaching us, right? And so for you also in your recovery, I assume and know that you're helping people as well. And, and that's something that is an integral part of your life, I'm guessing, is passing this stuff on. And then is that kind of... Well, you know, one thing that was drilled into me really early was that um, I was told that if I was going to do this whole recovery gig... And um, if I were going to do it hoping for a better life, then I, then I might get it, but I might not. But I was told, and I was actually promised, that if I were to do this and to help someone other, help them get a better life, that I would probably get a more amazing life than I could ever bargain for. And, um, and I was told that this, all this, this isn't about me. It's, it's not about you. It's not about you or you. It's, it, it's, it's about the next you that walks in. It's mm. dying and struggling. It needs help. That's what it's all about. And it has nothing to do with any one of us. It's about the next guy that's struggling out there. And that's where that's the, the magic of this, of this of recovery. I mean, that's, I'm sure that's how you stay sober. Mm -hmm. I'm absolutely positive of it. Yeah, you know. You know, I mean, Doug... Uh, Doug taught me a lot of things. Um, he, he, um, one of the big things he taught me was integrity. I remember when I first got sober, he, um, I, was, I was struggling because of my felony background of getting a job. And he says, you're just going to get a get well job, and, but you're going to have it for one year. And I said, okay, get well job for one year. So I got this job as an electrician, um, a helper. And I was making seven bucks an hour, and this guy next to me is making nine bucks an hour. And I'm bitching and moaning and complaining about it, you know. I'm 36 years old. I'm making seven bucks an hour, you know. Of course, this was, you know, 20 years ago. And um, and, and I remember uh, um, I got this, you know, I got this entitlement thing thinking, you know what, I deserve more, I deserve more, and I'm complaining about it. I mean, finally Doug told me to shut the hell up, you know. Shut the hell up. You, have, you created this problem. There's no, why are you whining about it in a meeting? Go out and find something to do. So I went out and I, and, and I, and I started something. And, and uh, I started a business, and the business has grown. And I remember going to Doug at about nine months of me doing this business thing, and, and it was starting to take off. 
and uh, I still had this seven dollar an hour job and Dyke says well wait a minute here I told him I'm gonna leave that seven dollar he goes no 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 you've only been there nine months and I said well, wait wait a minute this business I'm doing is is doing much better than that and they're not you know it's a seven dollar no 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 you said you've been there you, you need to be there three more months I said well wait a minute you don't understand he goes, no you don't understand I said no you don't understand Doug this is he goes, wait a minute I'm not your friend and I don't care how you feel you know um, I'm your sponsor and I'm here to help you create a meaningful life not recreate an old shitty life you said you were going to be there for a year. Are you a man of your word? And I said, oh, are you kidding me? You're, you're breaking my balls. And I said, okay, I'll be there a year, okay? So I remember being there a year, and, um, and I remember calling Doug saying, my year's up, I'm done. He goes, that's great, congratulations. Now, did you give him notice? So I'm like, give him notice? It's a $7 an hour job Doug no you need to give him notice you give him notice just like anyone else would and and um, two weeks notice ought to be fair and I oh, shit so I gave him two <laughs> I gave him two weeks notice and and um, and I remember going into the owner of the company after the two weeks and he called me in for the exit interview and says you know Tim you've been a really good employee and I appreciate all the work you've done and and I talked to him about my business that I was doing and he said, you know, if that business doesn't work out, you come back to work for me and I'll give you a raise, you know, but you've been a great employee and I appreciate your hard work. And I left there and, but when I left there, one thing occurred to me, you know, I was 36 years old and 36 years of my life, that was the only job I left on my own accord, the only job. I ever left on my own. All the other ones were no call, no shows, you know, um, stealing from the job, you know, showing up drunk, you know, and then they weren't great jobs. None of them were really great jobs, but that was the only job, you know, besides maybe my paper route when I was maybe eight or nine years or 10 years old that I had left. Um, but that was the only job that I had ever left on my own accord, mm -hmm. you know, and, and, and it occurred to me that Doug taught me integrity, you know. A man of my word and, um, and he taught me a lot of things but that was I think one of the big thing you know does my word mean anything you know and and and, and these were all character building skills like I say um, when I say I, I grew up I, I literally grew up because I really had no skills no life skills at 36 years of age I mean the life skills I knew about were Never tell the truth, especially, you know, if you're staring at a judge, you know. <laughs> um, never tell the truth, you know. Um, get the first shot in if you're going to hit someone. You know, if you're going to get in a fight, get the first shot in. They, I mean, they, they, weren't, they weren't life skills, but they were my survival skills. Right. Uh, and what, what I was being taught by the men in, this, in the fellowship of Cocaine Anonymous were, um, were life skills. How to live life. I didn't know how to write checks. I mean, I remember getting my first checking account, and I remember when I was using, I got a checking account, and I figured I had checks left, so there had to be money left. <laughs> so I just write the checks till they were gone, you know. But <laughs> but no, Doug taught me how to write checks. Um, he showed me how to get my driver's license back. I hadn't had a driver's license in a whole bunch of years, you know. And um, you know. Um, here we are today. Here we are today. You know, uh, the, my story. My story getting here. Okay, 
hasn't changed. You know, um, I got loaded. I'm, I was a complete mess, screw up, and completely broken and completely messed up and, and just out there for a whole bunch of years of my life. That's my story, and it's always going to be my story, and that part is never going to change. Um, what I know, the parts that have changed are um, that today I'm a man of my word. You know, um, a good friend of mine passed away um, last year, uh, Tommy, Tommy Hanneberry. I don't know if you guys know those guys. Yeah, we were at the funeral. Mm-hmm. He, uh, he was a beautiful man. He, but I, rem- I remember when he, was, uh, when he was dying, there was a song that, uh, I forget who, who does it, um, but one of the lines of the song was, I'm a friend a friend would want to have. And I remember sitting there talking with him, and I started thinking, you know what? Today I'm a friend a friend would want to have. I am, you know. I had I had you know friends when I was using, but it was it wasn't about friendship. It wasn't about um, loving on each other and being honest with each other. It wasn't about that. It was it was about one thing, and that was about getting loaded. Um, but today I'm a friend a friend one and a half, and um, and to take it a step further. Um, Today I'm a husband. A wife would want to have a good wife. Mm-hmm. Would want to have. Um, I'm faithful and loyal, caring, supportive. Um, you know, and and take it a bit further. I, I have two children today. I, I, I am I am a father. Two children, a son and a daughter would want to have. And um, to take it a bit further, I'm i'm a grandpa i have i have three grand grandbabies grandgirls that are just uh, just amazing beautiful little girls and i'm a, I'm a grandfather that three three grandbabies would want to have you know um i'm a son i'm a son a, a mom and dad would want to have my, my mom and dad i mean like i said well, my dad was pretty much through and my, my mom was real close um but i today they are my biggest fans they um they love on me. They support me. Of course, when I call them and talk to them, they, they tell me the same story over and over again. And I, I kind of laugh with my wife about it and say, I wonder if we're going to be that way. She, they, they, went, they went up north this weekend, and they left on Friday, and they were supposed to leave on Thursday. But I heard the story about 15 times why they left on Friday instead of Thursday. <laughs> <laughs> it's like every time I was like, oh, God, okay, here we go this again. This, this is going to be good. This is going to be good. And, um, you know, and I'm, uh, I've got a beautiful sister who loves on me. And, um, and I'm, I'm a brother a, a sister would want to have. And I'm, a, uh, I'm an uncle two nephews would want to have. Um, Today I am uh, I am I. I've got this full life that I never ever ever could have imagined, and all of it hinged on um, this guy in a jailhouse saying, "You never have to live this way or feel this way again." Fuck, man! What a powerful way to wrap it up there. Is yeah. and I mean for us, I'd say. Uh, your guest that we wanted to have and so thank you very much for coming on and sharing all of it and I think you did an amazing job and we are well over the mark I think that you uh, you're a bit concerned we're coming back in with the time constraint but I think you're an amazing uh, speaker for us and you're thank you for your candor 
and your openness. And I think that I got a lot out of this, so I appreciate you coming. And I'm going to pass it over to Chad, and we're wrapping this thing up. Thanks again, Tim. Woo! Yeah, thank you, Tim. That was great. I feel enriched after that, and I usually do after these podcasts. And I was being a little um, like I was fiending for it because we do this every Sunday, but we skipped last Sunday because we were out of town. Um, so I just want to thank you for, one, coming in and just like opening up your heart uh, and your mind and being transparent and telling us all this stuff because I've sat and listened to you for a while now and um, not only today but previously on Mondays and uh, nothing but respect for you, you know, and your story. And like when I hear you talk, I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. You know, and I'm like, fuck it, hey, dude. But anyways, man, thank you. Thank you very much. I really, really appreciate it. Um, don't forget to follow us on YouTube, Last Week Out. Just get on the search bar, type in Last Week Out Podcast. We're going to pop up. There's going to be a picture of Tim. You can see his hairless body and his all over tan. Dude, and he's looking great with his, what is those, what's that thing called on your shoulder right there? It's a man purse. It's a man purse. It's a man purse. <laughs> <laughs> he's got his man purse on and he's looking good, dude. He's looking real good. Also, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, iTunes. We're on all those podcasts. Please, please, please get on there, like us, follow us, and we'll see you next week. See you next week, guys. Thank you. Okay, bye. Love you. Woohoo!